Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films, like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never enlighten you, maybe we never quite blow your minds, maybe we never become your dream warriors! (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening, so... Today we are continuing our discussion on horror threequels with, if you haven't guessed it yet, the uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. So this is a film that came out in 1987. It it was directed by uh, Chuck Russell, who had previously written the film Dreamscape before this, which, if you've never seen, is actually a pretty cool movie. It's uh, early 80s, I think, and... Also kind of involves, it. it's sort of a, more like a sci-fi kind of action movie about people going into dreams to like apprehend somebody and whatever, but it... So this person likes doing dream movies. Well, it's not that they like doing dream <laughs> movies, it's that, it's that they, they were hired uh, or, or they, they worked on Dreamscape and then the director of that I think was originally supposed to do Dream Warriors and then when he left the project he suggested Chuck Russell and that's how Russell got the job. Uh, so this was actually Russell's directorial debut and it, he actually went on to do The Blob, which is one of my favorite Ooh. horror films really ever. <laughs> uh, also did the film The Mask, and he's honestly done quite a few really good ones. Uh, it, the film was written by Wes Craven, who I don't need to get into who that Amazing. is. You all know who Wes Craven is. <laughs> uh, it was written by Russ, Bruce Wagner's writing partner, and they had done the original script, and then... Frank Darabont and Russell came in to do the rewrites. So, you know, Darabont, this was actually uh, his first feature script. And for those of you who, you know, maybe don't know Darabont. uh, (laughs) Like me. Like you. uh, He also wrote The Blob, The Fly 2, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. No, Frank Darabont's huge. He, He went on to direct The Shawshank Redemption. You know, so he's an Oscar winning director. Uh, Also did the film The Mist, created The Walking Dead, which he left after, I think, the first or second season. I think it was the second season. I think he left then. But yeah, so no, he's hugely successful. Uh, So both of these guys went on to do really great things, and Dream Warriors was kind of like the big uh, bump for them because the film did so well. Uh, It stars Heather Langenkamp as Nancy, returning to her character, who, of course, we all know her from Nightmare on Elm Street, which was her first big starring role. Uh, She also returns a new Nightmare uh, and just something kind of cool about her, for those who don't know, she co-owns the AFX studio with her husband, David Leroy Anderson. Awesome. Uh, and, it, you know, they've done effects. So so that studio has done effects for films like Cabin in the Woods. <gasps> uh, and so when you actually watch New Nightmare, you know, her husband in that film is an effects artist. And so mm-hmm. that's actually inspired by that. So Aww, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then let's see. It also stars Craig Watson as Neil, uh, who was in the film Ghost Story and... Brian De Palma's body double before this, really great actor. 
Uh, and then, of course, Patricia Arquette as Kristen. Uh, this was her first big starring role. She also is really well known, I think, for True Romance and starred in the film Stigmata and has, you know, honestly just gone on to become a huge star for yeah. this, which, you know, it's it's funny listening to stories about uh, from those working on the film because apparently, like, all of the dudes on the movie were just really infatuated with her and kind of obsessed. And and Robert England claims that they would all go up to him and, like, you know, ask for advice on, <laughs> on asking her out and stuff like that. So, That's fucking adorable. Uh, so, no, she was, she was very popular with the boys on set um, mm-hmm. and probably some of the girls, too. Uh, but, but, yeah, it was her first big starring role. And then, of course, we have Robert England as Freddie, who, you know, obviously we all know Robert England from the Nightmare on Elm Street series as Freddy, but, you know, it, it's kind of funny because that's, you know, I, I feel like that's what many fans, that's maybe all they think of him as. Yeah. And, and he actually had a, an interesting horror career before this, you know, nothing on the level of Freddy, but uh, but he had an interesting career where, you know, he, he first appeared in the film uh, Buster and Billy in 1974, so he had been working, you know, in film for 10 years before Shit. he got the Nightmare on Elm Street role that, you know, propelled his career. Uh, so before Nightmare on Elm Street, he was also in Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive, uh, the film Dead and Buried, uh, Corman's Galaxy of Terror, and then, you know, he's since gone on to, of course, become an icon, you know, not just in Nightmare on Elm Street, but he's done lots of other horror projects, you know, including The Mangler, Wishmaster, Urban Legend, 2001 Maniacs, I mean, I can honestly go on forever, the dude's resume is huge. (laughs) As it should be. As it should be. And then the premise for Dream Warriors is essentially uh, we, after part two, we come to Nancy returning as some kind of like uh, all-star sort of therapist, psychologist, whatever, doing, what do they call it, Uh, uh, incredible work in dream studies or something like that, revolutionary work (laughs) in dream studies. Um, and, And she comes to this institution where as she meets this group of teenagers who... Uh, are all being held there for for suicide attempts and ends up discovering that they're all haunted by Freddy Krueger and, you know, of course, then begins to try to help them before Freddy kills them all. (laughs) They must all become dream warriors. They must all become dream warriors and discover their dream powers. So It's so hard to not sing the title. It's it's just such a goddamn good song by Dokken, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I almost want to, like, go watch the music video right after this. <laughs> That's what, exactly what we're going to do. Yeah, we are going to do that. Um, but, And you should, too, when you're done listening. But but we still got a while to go. So uh, <laughs> so if you have not seen A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors, first of all, it's amazing. Second of all, it is streaming on HBO Max. So you can check it out there. Also, I mean, so well worth the rental if you yes. don't have HBO Max. Uh, so I highly recommend doing that because we are going to spoil as much of the movie as we can. Uh, and before we even just get any further, I just want to say how excited I am to finally have Chris <laughs> and I talking about Freddy Krueger. So thank you all for giving me the opportunity to finally shove Freddy into a topic for the month. Because <laughs> Chris has been giving me shit that we've talked about Jason like four times. And now because we finally Jason's amazing. Jason is amazing, but so is Freddy. And I'm just glad that he's finally on the fucking show. So. <laughs> So anyway, so that being said, we do have our usual brief little bit of spoiler-free content, so we'll let you know when we're about to get into spoilers. Uh, so with that being said, you know, just the tagline versus the film and what we think of the movie overall. Uh, so the tagline for Dream Warriors was, If you think you'll get out alive, you must be dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Dream Warriors overall? Absolutely love it. 100% perfect. Wouldn't change anything because it has a pun in it. Indeed. It's, it's amazing. And uh, if you've read my writing, you all know how much I love puns. <laughs> we are a pun-loving family here. Indeed. No, this movie is amazing. This is probably my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street. For me, it's between this one and the fourth one. Okay. Um, just because I really like the cast for both of them. And that's, that's what it sells. That's what Nightmare on Elm Street for me really is. Is mm. I need to like the kids because it's all about them and their dreams and their nightmares and so i want fun interesting kids to follow like with you know emotional depth which we get so much of here and i want freddie tormenting them in fun (laughs) ridiculous ways well i mean that's to me that's part of the success of the nightmare on elm street series is that you know they've always had really great characters yeah i I would i would say that even the worst nightmare on elm street film whichever one you consider that to be Even that, you know, has great characters. I don't mm-hmm. think there's a single one in the franchise that doesn't have characters that you enjoy watching. So Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with you. It's one of the things... But yes, this is one of the best. This is definitely <laughs> one of the regard. best. I'm kind of surprised that Nightmare is not my favorite of the slasher franchises because I do love how creative the kills are. And they're really great in this film. Mm. And the costuming is really cool. There's so many good things about it. It has the best theme song ever. This theme song beats the Jason one. Yeah, I, I mean, but, you, could, you could say that Nightmare is the best horror franchise. And I mean, yet it's really, not. If you really wanted to, you And know? yet it's not because <laughs> Jason wins and Friday the 13th is the best. But Debatable. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you know, uh, look, Dream, Dream Warriors is... It's a classic, you yeah. know. I, I mean, the, I don't. I don't know that we're going to say much on this episode that hasn't been said about this movie before because it is so beloved, you know. Because uh, it is. It's a great film, you know. The Dream Warriors was so good that this film actually made more money at the box office than the first and second film combined. Makes sense. Uh, and I think overall, it's the third highest grosser in the franchise behind part four i think and freddy versus jason so (laughs) (laughs) oh that travesty i love it hey freddy versus jason's blast it is but anyway you know and and look i think that a big part of that reason is that you know again keeping this water free is that dream warriors is not personally my favorite nightmare on elm street movie it's my second uh because i i really love the first one and part of that is because of things that we'll talk about throughout the episode. You know, Matt in, loves Nancy like none other. I do, <laughs> and in particular, we're going to talk about the ending. You know, and because that weighs on my opinion on, on Dream Warriors. But you know, overall, though, it, it's a great film, and I think that one of the reasons that it really resonates with audiences, you know, especially at the time, is that you know, t- to me, this is like. Part four is the film that, in my opinion, made Freddy Krueger into a rock star, mm-hmm. you know, because that's because that's kind of like the MTV version of Freddy Krueger where yeah. he really became that. Uh, but part three, I think, is kind of the seed of that. And part three is where I, I sort of feel like the heroes became rock stars. Yeah. You know, and and that's so vital and important for, you know, teenagers that were going out to see these movies or just young people in general, because you know the 80s especially uh, or at least at that time i mean it sure as hell worse now but (laughs) but you know but the 80s was a period where like you know we we had a lot of uh sort of political upheaval amongst young people and there was kind of this pessimism you know and 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 a lot of rebellion Mm -hmm. and and i think that you know dream warriors kind of captures all of that it captures that rebellious spirit that you feel at that age 
and that you hopefully never lose on to because keep fighting the power. Yes. <laughs> you know, it captures that spirit and it also touches on, you know, really difficult topics yeah. uh, for kids where, you know, th- there is a heavy theme of suicide, which we are going to talk about in this and hopefully try not to get, you know, too dark with it. But uh, but there is a heavy theme of that. And, and suicide was a huge issue in the 80s. You know, it's not and that I wouldn't say that that's gotten much better either. But in the 80s, especially, you know, uh, I believe suicide was one of the top five, if not top three uh, leading factors for cause of death amongst young people. And I just think that, you know, Dream Warriors taps into that in a way that really made kids feel powerful. Yeah. You know, because, because I mean, it's in the title, Dream Warriors, you know, <laughs> yeah. these teenagers are warriors. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it, and it, every single character, every single teenager in this film feels powerful to some degree. You know, they feel like they have that ability to overcome their worst nightmares, mm-hmm. you know, if Freddy happens not to get them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just, they, they, I, I feel like there's a character in this movie for everybody mm-hmm. uh, to relate to as a teenager. You know, I feel like we all have that kind of special character to us that we sort of identify with or look up to or want to be even, Yeah, you know, and, and I just, I, I think that's, I think that has a lot to do with why this film just really succeeded the way that it did. Not to mention, you know, the incredible effects and, and, <laughs> and everything all that. else. Look, I think Freddie really predicted the success of this movie with his iconic line. Welcome to primetime, bitch. Indeed. Like, this, this is, is Freddie's this is prime when he time. hit it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Freddie's prime time. And, th- and this is our prime time as horror fans, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah, it, it's not like it was the first time that we'd really seen, you know, horror heroes you know be be risen up like this you know i I think nancy was a great early example of that in 1984 you know Mm -hmm. so it's not like it was the first time to see kind of teenagers really taking power like that instead of just kind of being cornered and fighting back the way they do in you know halloween and friday 13 which (laughs) i'm not knocking you know the final girls in those but they're not my favorite because you know they're not they're not necessarily taking charge from the beginning and that's what i've always liked about the nightmare on elm street series is you know for the most part our heroes are doing that from from the very beginning. They're fighting back, you know, mm-hmm. and I just really appreciate that. But yeah, and really quick, I want to mention too, you know, just a, a little brief bit of backstory on this film is that it, it's kind of a, you know, <laughs> it is sort of interesting. And, and this is, again, one of my small knocks on the movie is that uh, there, there, was, there was a bit of a battle, I think, kind of going on <laughs> behind the scenes with the film and during development and all and production and all that, because... You know, Wes Craven initially came back to part three uh, because he felt that there was an opportunity to expand on Freddy and the lore. You know, initially he didn't really think that the original film was supposed to pretty much just end in that it was all a dream, you know, before all of that changed. (laughs) And after the second film, you know, there, there was just this belief that there was more to Freddy. And so, you know, Wes wanted to come back for that. He wanted to explore that. And the script that he and Bruce Wagner wrote was was actually much darker than what Dream Warriors gives us. You know, mm-hmm. some like there are elements in Dream Warriors that are from that script that are still there. You know, like the suicide stuff, like that. That was an element in Craven's script, but that was a heavier element in Craven's script. Where it, it forgive me, it's been like ten years since I read that script. And I'm old now and my memory doesn't work as well. So so I don't remember everything about it. But I do believe that, you know, the original script was much darker. It, it involved, it, it was heavier on the suicide element. I think it involved kids actually 
being lured to places to to kill themselves, you know, oh, uh, by by Freddy. Like I think Freddy kind of tortured them into some of it, if I remember right. I don't quote me on that. I, I'm struggling to remember here. And and you know the the child molestation element was a little bit stronger. Where I I want to say it was the Will character who says that nobody likes him or something like that. And and Freddy had a line I think where he's like I like you, you know, or, or something like that. And and I, I read I read an article about this on I think the AV Club. I forget the writer, but but they made a good point where they were pretty much like. Yeah, I don't think you were going to sell many Freddy plush dolls, you know, with lines like, I like you, you know, and, and so, so... You would totally own one. I, I don't know. Yeah. But but the thing is, is, you know, had that had that gone that way, is like, look, you know, I am a big believer in kind of the artist getting to do their vision and everything, but, you know, it doesn't mean that they're right all the time. Yeah. And, and in this case, I do think that, you know, well, it would have been interesting to see a darker version of Dream Warriors from Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that it was the right decision to kind of... Not do that? <laughs> uh, to, to kind of sidestep that a little bit, because I think that had you really dug deeper into kind of the, the child molestation element and, you know, gotten darker with the suicide element, like, we... Freddy might not be as revered as he is today, you know? Yeah, everybody uh, forgets we, the child touching. It's easy. We just think of him as a child killer. Well, right, because the franchise never really gets too much into yeah. that. It's always hinted at, but it's mm-hmm. never, like, directly in our faces, you know? And, and I think that had it been, had that been a big element, you know, in, in any of the movies and in the third one, you know, I'm not sure that we get a part four. And part four really is the one that you know, elevated Freddy to, I think, icon level, because that is really where he became, you know, a rock star. Yeah. Uh, so so I don't know. We might not view Freddy the same way had that happened. So. Yeah, I think not doing such a dark one does definitely help, because I think we see that with a decent amount of some of these big franchises. So we have that in Friday the 13th, too, kind of, where, like, in the third one, you know, it's, it's alleged that Jason raped somebody. We all just kind of sweep that under the rug. Yeah, we like to forget that part about Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's that same thing that, like, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, the reason why they're so beloved is the fact that we kind of realized that keeping them a little bit lighter while touching on heavier topics made them a lot more fun and a lot more accessible. Definitely. So so on that note, we are about to get into spoiler territory. So again, Dream Warriors is streaming on HBO Max. Check it out there if you haven't. Rented. It's well worth your money. And and just really quick, I, want, I also want to know before I forget and get you know a little too buzzed to remember <laughs> towards the end. Uh, I do also want to note, you know, since we are talking about a film that does touch on suicide and stuff tonight, I do want to, you know, mention, as someone who's been through those struggles myself when I was a teenager, I do want to mention, you know, to seek help. There are always people that are willing to listen and talk, and and please seek that out. You know, don't don't deal with these struggles by yourself. Get the help that you need. And so I want to list the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 800-273-8255. Just know that there are avenues out there to, to help, you know, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully give you the help you need. But uh, if you're going through that. So anyway, on that serious note, get into Dream Warriors. So we are about to spoil everything. OK, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just let's start off with the fact that, you know, that Nancy is brought back for this movie. Woot. So so Nancy's gone for part two, has nothing to do with part two. And, and honestly, most of the franchise doesn't have much to do with part two. <laughs> Uh, which is a shame. I do really like part two, but but you know I get it. And it, so she's brought back. So so what do you think about Nancy being brought back to this? 
and just the dream warriors themselves in this movie. What do you think about this group of characters with oh, Nancy? So I, I fucking love these characters. And I love the fact that Nancy got brought back, which was weird for me to think about. Because you know what I hate that's happening in modern horror? The legacy stuff? Yeah, fuck yeah. the legacy stuff. I don't give a shit about legacy characters. I'm sorry. Yeah. But when it comes to Nancy, A, bitch did it first. So she's amazing. And Wes Craven's <laughs> amazing for doing and, and, it. And she did. You know, a lot of people don't recognize that as like, we, we do all complain about this legacy trend right now but franchises did do it before and nightmare on elm street 3 is an example of that so. yeah but the difference between nancy and like you know bringing back you know people in halloween and texas chainsaw is the fact that nancy's story fucking makes sense it, true it makes sense <laughs> that nancy has come back because it's showing that she has gone through her stuff and has decided that she kind of wants to help people go through things as well yeah. you know it doesn't feel out of place it doesn't feel shoehorned in and look i fucking love the idea of older generations coming back like previous final girls coming back and helping the newer generation if it makes sense for their character and nightmare on elm street fucking nails it in this um so obviously nancy is amazing we know mm. this we knew this from the first movie that she's awesome well, well but look, the kids she... are better <laughs> Well, okay, I gotta ask you about that, but first I just want to say, you know, yeah, Nancy coming back for this is is great, you know, I, and we'll get to the thing I don't like about it, but <laughs> but Nancy, but Nancy coming back is great, you know, because uh, you're absolutely right, for one, you know, it's not... It's not kind of like legacy sequels are treated now where it's sort of shoehorned into the story. It doesn't story make any and, fucking sense. And honestly, really doesn't make much sense most of the time. Oh. Like, like I got to be honest, I, I know there are a lot of you out there that, you know, are enjoying the new Halloween Kills trilogy. And I'm not going to say that I hate it. You know, both movies have fun elements to them, especially the kills. But I'm going to be honest, I, I liked Laurie's resolution to her story way better in h2o <laughs> yes i'll agree uh, and i don't like h2o and i do like h2o <laughs> it's not the best but i but i like it you know and, and her resolution is just so much better than i think kind of what's been done so far where the movies are basically like you don't fucking matter you know and, I, <laughs> and, and just what a shitty thing to like say to your legacy character you know i just i hate that but but in nancy's case you know i i, I really love this and a, a big part of the reason is what chris just said which is that you know the, those of you that don't that don't know me well, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite horror film, and it's honestly not because of Freddy. It's not because of the the ingenious kills, which they are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not because of I, I view that film as kind of like the penultimate, you know, horror movie and what horror is capable of, and that it just you know allows you to do whatever the hell you want, whatever the hell you can imagine. It's not just for those reasons. It is the fact that. You know, at the end of that movie, as much as people don't like the ending to Nightmare on Elm Street, I adore it because to me, as someone who was bullied growing up, the the power of just watching, you know, Nancy turn her back on Freddy and just basically be like, you don't matter, bitch. <laughs> like, Fuck you, motherfucker. You know, just be like, you're nothing, you're shit. Like, that was so inspiring to me as a kid. It was so powerful to, to watch this woman turn her back on this fucking dream demon and just be like, ah, you ain't shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like that that mattered so much to me. And so Nancy's always been, you know, uh, uh, she's always been just kind of a hero of mine in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think it's really cool to see her come back for Dream Warriors because in Dream Warriors, she sort of 
is for those kids what she is for me in real life, you know? Aww. Like like she <laughs> Well, she she becomes that inspiration for them, you know? Yeah. She she becomes that that strength for them, the leader that they need, mm-hmm. you know, not just the person who knows Freddy, but the person who is strong enough to kind of lead them in fighting Freddy, you know, and, and Freddy himself is basically, you know, the the ultimate bully in film. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't know that there's a bigger bully in film than Freddy Krueger. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> he torments you. He doesn't just murder you. He torments you. Oh, he torments you and he enjoys the hell out of it, yeah. you know? So so I've always viewed Freddy as the biggest bully in cinema. And, and, and you know, so, so to have Nancy return, she becomes that leader for those kids, you know, the same way she is for me, the same way that she she kind of like, you know, inspired me to sort of like, either stand up to bullies or just think of them as not being anything, you know, like, uh, well, and I feel like that's the difference. This is why Nancy works as a legacy characters, whereas the other ones don't. Well, she's coming back, you know, it, it makes sense for her story. She's coming back as someone who has now dedicated her life to trying to help people that have, you know, that yeah. are going through what she's been through. Well, and to your, your point with her, Nancy's always been stronger. What we've seen with other legacy characters is they are so, they're so traumatized that they've gone the Sarah Connor route. But with Nancy, yeah. Nancy doesn't. Nancy has this strength, and she doesn't feel the need to compromise any fucking part of her life for Freddie. And that's mm. what's awesome about Nancy. Also, I, I mean, you could you could argue that scars have led her to dedicating her life to this, but I, but I agree with you. They haven't. But she hasn't gone full Sarah Connor. <laughs> she she's she's inspirational in the sense that you know when you see Nancy. It's it's the complete opposite of, of looking at you know kind of how Jamie is tr- or how Laurie is treated in the new Halloween movies, mm-hmm. where it's like you can look at Nancy and you can say there's hope for me. Yes, you know you can look at Nancy and say like there there is hope for me to still be you know li- live a quote unquote normal life, like still have those scars, but but learn how to use them. Yeah, you know? yeah. Nancy shows you that you can have trauma and scars and you're still you. You're not letting it control you. It might guide you down certain paths. Whereas fucking Lori's in a goddamn cabin. She has let one encounter with a dude <laughs> yeah. like completely prevent well, her from stuff. Well, I mean, let, let's not let's not act like Lori's encounter wasn't exactly traumatic, all right? It was. And we're, it was. And we're not, I don't want to keep picking out Lori, but... <laughs> I kind of do, but we need to move on. I, <laughs> but but you know but yeah but that so that's just so cool to see and you know I, I ironically I think there's maybe an argument to be made too though that you know Nancy coming there kind of brings on Freddie a little bit stronger uh, which is certainly debatable but you know of course there's a coincidence of the moment she arrives they all start dying <laughs> I mean there's definitely that but I think that the funny part with it is like you know Nancy also showcases us what adult children what adult children relationships should be you know this whole movie also has the juxtaposition between nancy and the other doctors because the other doctors fucking suck well well, and that's what's and that's what's really interesting about the movie too right Mm -hmm. is that this is one of one of the few if not the only examples in the nightmare on elm street franchise of an adult not being a complete shitbag right (laughs) (laughs) uh because and and that's what's and you know and that's what's so kind of interesting and fun about the dream warriors is that again i i view this as the most rebellious mm-hmm. of, of the nightmare on elm street movies right and and at the heart of them they've kind of always been about that you know like the nightmare on elm street movies have always been about uh just kind of the older generation being a piece of shit yeah <laughs> being a piece of dog shit burning on someone's front porch 
and and the younger generation having to deal with the fact that the older generation doesn't know shit, mm-hmm. right? And is pretty much afraid to face all of the problems that they've created. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> the kids having to give the middle finger to the adults while they fight to survive. Right, like you had, like you have, uh, like you have Doctor Sims played by Priscilla Pointer. Fuck that you know, bitch. Who, who she is, you know, she so much to me represents like the uh, not just the older generation, but in particular, kind of like the conservative older generation. She's goddamn Puritan. She, she basically flat out blames like you know sex, sexual drugs, des- and rock and roll. Right. She she flat out blames like sexual desires or whatever for for why the kids are having these nightmares and offing themselves. You know, and it's just like fuck you, man. Like, <laughs> just because you can't get laid doesn't well, mean you have to take it out on well, the no, kids. No, no, it's not about her not being able to get laid. It's it's taking out that kind of adult fear. You know, so so she to me is kind of like you know she's kind of representative of that that sort of adult fear that parents have of their kids, like, you know, going out and fucking, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, like, every parent, and I get it, I'm not a parent, I can't speak directly to that, and I, I see why parents, you know, are afraid of their kids going out and fucking and whatnot, because, mm-hmm. you know, that that's them becoming more of an adult, and that's scary, mm-hmm. um, but that's just it, is that, you know, adults are scared of kids becoming adults, and rebelling against them, and, and you know, standing up to them, and, at the heart of Dream Warriors is that exact thing where here you have, you know, this is the first time too in the Nightmare franchise where you actually have a group of heroes together, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in this case, you've got this group of kids that all share this connection, that all share this fear, and they're doing something about it, and that scares the hell out of the adults. Yeah. The adults don't understand. It's, it worries them. They don't like to see kids, <laughs> you know, standing up to them, basically. And, and so this is just kind of like... You know, this is basically like a like a minuscule example of a of a larger thing where, you know, the older generation just always fears the younger generation getting together, getting their shit together and standing up to all the bullshit that they've created in the world for them. So kind of like we're seeing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely agree. I think it's interesting when we look at like the adults and the doctors versus Nancy's. You're right. Nancy shows up and the kids start dying. And that is not. I mean, I'm just joking. I don't think it's Nancy's fault. But, but, you know, movie coincidence. (laughs) It's it's not. But it is kind of the funny thing that, you know, they have their group sessions, which always starts off with like straight talk only in the room. You know, but the adults, you know, both of the doctors, both Sims, Anne, and Gordon are full of hypocritical bullshit. Because mm-hmm. even though they say straight talk, they're not talking straight with the kids. They're not engaging with the kids on their level. And so it's really interesting for me because Dr. Sims is just like, well, they have to deal with their dreams. They have to go and deal with this stuff because if they don't deal with it, that's why they're having all these problems. But she refuses to engage with the kids, and that's why they're not able well, to to do anything. Well, right, and, and it's and it's the same ca- you know it's the same case with with just institutions in general, and mm-hmm. honestly, a lot of adults in general. Like again, again, speaking as a bullied kid, you know, when when you're like tormented as a kid, you know, getting beat up and made fun of and all this kind of stuff, and it's like ruining your life. You know, you reach out to adults over it, and the response that you generally get is like, "Well, why don't you just try to make friends with them?" You know, or like, or like, you know, well, well, they don't, they just don't understand. You know, nothing is ever done about it. Yeah. is basically the point. And and you know, and that's that's you know that that's what's being that's what's happening here in a nutshell. You know, this is a microcosm of a larger problem in the world, uh, which is bullying, which is adults not listening to kids, which is adults not seeing kids. You know, not seeing 
uh, the issues that they're having, that they're going through, and kind of ignoring them to the point where they are, mm-hmm. you know, committing suicide because they don't feel like they have someone there for them. You know, that that's what's going on here in this movie. And Yeah, and that's why I feel like, you know, Nancy, on the other hand, of the doctors, is actually that support system. She's willing to engage with the kids, and that's what they need. And you're right, adults are afraid of kids growing up because what kids could encounter and what could happen to them. And I think that's kind of what we see with why the kids start dying, is they have a support system but nancy's not enough she's doing the best she can but these kids now are very much dealing with their trauma they're dealing they're facing freddie more head-on they're they're doing that and without the proper support system it can sometimes be a little bit harder but i want to say i fucking love these kids we've spent all this time talking about nancy and the goddamn adults and fuck those people because they fucking suck (laughs) and i fucking love these kids at least for for me personally it feels like the first time that we've actually got a more diverse friend group and it's something i feel like we definitely see in horror films we definitely see later on where you have like the nerd the jock the beauty queen we're we're kind of used to seeing those stereotypes 100 percent. yeah but i think that nightmare on elm street dream warriors really nails it because you know these kids wouldn't necessarily be friends outside of this psych ward right you know it kind of goes to like what you were saying before about just like kids having to kind of band together and rise up and that's really what we see in this film and all these kids are their own unique person and they're also fucking kick ass and look i love fucking love will with his little like D obsession and and philip who makes all this little model stuff like it's just such a fun great group of kids that you just can't help rooting for him the whole time yeah and i think the you know part of the <laughs> maybe maybe the tragedy of the kids is that you know so they they've got these uh dream powers you know they're dream warriors and you know i, I th- to me the thing that i find kind of sad about it is that in their dreams they're kind of like these better versions of themselves you know like like i love <laughs> Like Taryn, played by Jennifer Rubin, who I think this was also one of her first big starring roles, and she actually went on to do a film called Bad Dreams, which is basically a Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff, <laughs> which I do love. I do love Bad awesome. Dreams, but <laughs> and I suggest seeing it, but it's a ripoff. You know, her her character Taryn, you know, basically is like my dream power is I'm beautiful and bad, <laughs> you know, and she is. She's a badass. She looks like a badass, and she's beautiful. And you know, I I find the shame in kind of most of their powers is that you know they they haven't yet found that they are those people mm-hmm. you know they are those people in real life they haven't just unlocked that yet you know like taryn is beautiful and bad will is you know the <laughs> the wizard the, master the wizard master right like he is that he doesn't have magical powers mm-hmm. but he is the wizard master you know and and, and so on and so forth and like you know they they all have that potential and so you know but that's always kind of like the 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 really tragic side about suicide is that, you know, again, having been there myself and, and come out of it, it's people that don't realize their their worth. You know, it's people mm-hmm. that don't realize the, the potential in life that they have. And that's a lot of where Dream Warriors comes from. Again, not to be, you know, dark, but this is but this is a core of the movie. And, you know, Wes actually uh, came up with the concept because, you know, I, I think if I recall correctly, he was seeing, you know, like commercials on TV uh with with like you know institutions being advertised of like bring your kid here and we'll fix them you know and they were basically like prisons and and so wes obviously wanted to explore that and again you know the 80s was this really high rate of suicide amongst teens and all that and that all just really you know fits into the nightmare on elm street franchise perfectly because you know it's just something i was thinking about the other day is that 
honestly, this this entire franchise, like Dream Warriors, is the only one that really focuses heavily on the suicide element. Mm-hmm. But the entire franchise, in a sense, is kind of like a, a, a metaphor for for that. You know, a, yeah. meta, a metaphor for uh, teens that are struggling and committing suicide and that issue that we have in our society, and, and you know, the fact that it goes unnoticed, that it goes ignored. Uh, because you know, at the heart of all of these films are teens that cannot get the support from their family that they need. You know, yeah. And, and Freddie, by killing people off in their dreams, you know, for for the most part, they end up looking like suicides. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the 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 first movie kind of touches on it a little bit because you know we we do have with the blood fountain. <laughs> well, no, no, and that and that's and that's the thing is you know it's not perfect. Like the the first movie makes the adults assume that Rod killed himself by being hung up by the rope in his jail cell, right? Yeah. Uh, the others are made to look like murders, but then the more the kind of deeper you get into the franchise, though, you know, the more and more the murders kind of look like suicides, mm-hmm. and and of course this one especially, and and just so much of this film is about that, and you know how the scariest thing really is that when you're in danger and adults think you're the problem. Yeah. You know, and that and that speaks so much to like the misguidance of kind of how we we handle kids with issues in society, how the healthcare industry handles, mm-hmm. you know, kids in this society and you know how these institutions handled it and just the history of poor mental health treatment in this country. You know, I, I mean even just look at like how they treat Kincaid, you know, how he's how he's being thrown into this uh, the quiet room uh, for for freaking out. Which, by the way, I love him when he's like, you know, oh, so you're saying my dick's killing me now? You know, <laughs> like he's such a great character. But um, but you know, them throwing him into the into the quiet room. It's just you know that's how a lot of kids feel uh, when they're going through these things. They yeah. feel like they're in this contained trapped place where they like can't reach anybody you know yeah and i feel like that's definitely super prevalent throughout this movie i think you're definitely right this movie touches more on the deaths looking more like suicide because you have Kristen getting sent to the hospital because of the razor blade philip jumps he doesn't jump he gets tossed off the tower and jennifer's head going into the television yeah they all look like (laughs) i mean that one's one's ridiculous (laughs) because she needs a chair she needs a goddamn chair that one's pretty extreme but yeah it's still made to look like she killed herself. Yeah. yeah, but I think we we get the best insight into it with both Taryn's and Will's death because Taryn and Will are dealing with the kids are all dealing with heavy things, but I think Taryn and Will are dealing with even heavier stuff. Taryn has been a drug addict, and she it's it's thrown in her face by one of the orderlies who's trying to get her high, and when she says that she's going to go to an adult for help. He very clearly points out, you're a kid, you're a junkie kid, and nobody's going to believe you. Right. You know, and it's it's the very tragic nature of this is the fact that it's made all these kids feel more isolated. And the kids who do feel a stronger connection, feel more supportive, unfortunately are the ones who make it out of this. Which, it's awesome. We get three kids who make it out of this out of... A lot. A lot. But that's more than the others had make it out. (laughs) Exactly. It shows what proper support and care can help. I guess. Um, (laughs) You know, and like even even the image early on with Kristen uh, running with the little girl in her arms and she's like stuck and can't move forward and then the little girl is like a skeleton in her arms. (laughs) You know, even that to me like just kind of speaks to this sort of idea of like her fear 
of, of sort of the death of her innocence, you know, her, mm -hmm. fe her fear of adulthood in a sense, and, and just kind of like not being able to save herself, yeah. you know, so like, and, and I mean, there's just so much imagery, like all the kids hanging by ropes, you know, yeah. in Freddy's house, like, this movie's so strong on that element, and... <laughs> well, and I feel like it's another slap in the face from Freddy, because Freddy originally was murdered because it was parents trying to protect their kids, right? Yeah. And now Freddy's going into their dreams and pretty much proving to these parents, hey, your kids aren't fucking safe. You're actually not protecting them at all. I'm still gonna get them. Well, well right, and which is why I think this is a natural evolution for Freddy, right? Mm -hmm. Is that... You know, and, and why why he ultimately really works as a villain because you love to hate him. You know, you do. You you love to hate Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it was the natural next step because look, we we I, I think most of us look back on the original Nightmare on Elm Street and think like, you know, oh, it was so good, so it was scary, and like Freddy was scary, and you know, he he wasn't like a wisecracking one liner kind of character, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but but ultimately, I think that actually works to Freddy's benefit because I mean, for one, I mean, let's just be honest, people. Like, you can't you can't make ten movies about Freddy Krueger and not eventually have the scary element to him wear off, right? Yeah. So so it only makes sense that all of these franchise horror characters kind of eventually lose that to mm -hmm. some degree. And in Freddy's case, they use it to their advantage because Freddy in this movie does become more of a bully yeah you know he does become more of that tormentor and is and is using all of these kids coping mechanisms against them right mm -hmm. you know and, and and coping mechanisms being good and bad right yeah. you know like like he's using uh like he uses taryn's coping mechanism against her that that bad mechanism that she's tried to get rid of right mm -hmm. he uses phillips uh played by bradley gray he uses phillips you know, craftsmanship of the puppets against them and like yeah. turns them into a puppet himself, right? Like, they, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he uses all of that against them and it's all just to rub it in their face even <laughs> further, right? But the thing that's interesting too here is that, you know, I also really love the decision to come back to Freddy's house. And, mm -hmm. and you know, it it's might- It's his fucking house. Well, it's his fucking house, but but think about this for a minute, right? Is that Freddy's film never needed to be integral to the story. And I mean, part of the irony of it is that, you know- we treat we treat Nancy's house like Freddy's house, and it's not his house. It's Nancy's house. It's Nancy's house. You know, <laughs> Freddy Krueger didn't live in Nancy's house. And he didn't. No, that's oh. not Freddy Krueger. Look, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I I do not believe that that is Freddy Krueger's house. It just became the symbol of Freddy's house, right? Mm -hmm. And and so you know what I think is interesting about kind of bringing it back. And, and really making it, you know, more of a symbol in part three, uh, where they actually call it like Freddy's home, you know, this is a little girl, is that, you know, one of the elements, like I said, at the heart of the franchise has always kind of been sort of the, the suicide and, and teen angst and, you know, kids needing help kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other part of it's always been the, the broken home nature of these heroes. You know, there's not every single hero in A Nightmare on Elm Street comes from a somewhat broken home. Yeah, Kristen's you know? mom fucking sucks. She's Except like... for part two. Part two's a little bit different. But 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 they but they all come from some kind of broken home. You know, Nancy with her parents mm -hmm. being divorced. In this case, Kristen, you know, her parents are divorced, right? And 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 you or know, he might be dead. I, I think they're divorced. Okay. <laughs> I think she says they're divorced. <laughs> but but you know, that's kind of the typical case in this franchise. And so you know, Freddy's, Fred, or, so this house almost kind of becomes like a symbol of that broken home, you know? Mm -hmm. And so seeing uh, Kristen kind of putting together this home in the beginning, you know, to me, it almost makes me think of like, 
how how she must miss having you know a complete home yeah you know she must miss having her dad there and having you know that kind of quote-unquote normal family life right having Mm -hmm. both of her parents there so so i kind of like that you know the film sort of moved into kind of letting freddie become that sort of symbol of like you know uh, of broken homes and like (laughs) (laughs) and just issues at the household because that's really what the franchise has always been yeah i definitely agree that you know i like seeing ostensibly you know freddie get more comfortable with his powers as like the weird fan fiction nerd kind of person I am. Yeah, like, becoming I, more of a bully, beca- yeah. doing more stuff. Yeah, yeah, because I look at the headcanon of it all of just like, okay, when we first met Freddy in the first one, that's when he was brand new. He didn't really know what his powers were. He was just fucking angry. Whatever. But by the third movie, Freddy knows what his powers is. And Freddy definitely was like a dick in real life because, you know, he touched kids oh, and killed them. Of course he was a dick in yeah. real life. <laughs> you he's know. a fucking monster in real life. Yeah. But you know, dick is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's in this afterlife and why not toy with his with his prey? Like, and I mean, if I, if, I, if I was a fucking maniacal monster, I mean, of course I'm going to like exactly. do this kind of stuff and turn into fucking creepy monsters and whatever. You know, and I, I love your idea of like he's, you know, ostensibly the patron patron saint of broken homes in a sense patron demon sorry patron sure demon. We can, whatever you want to call it <laughs> um, but i also love the fact that you know if we look at it it's ostensibly freddie also weirdly taking back his power because if we view it as nancy's home and that's where he died it is nancy's home. yeah it is nancy's home <laughs> he didn't die there either i mean but he he died his second death there because that's where he's first defeated so i love i, <laughs> I love the idea of freddie being like you know what, bitch? You fucking, you turn your back on me? You say I'm nothing? Fine. Fuck you. I'm taking your home. It's now the pa- patron demon saint, home of broken homes. This is my house now. Fuck you, Nancy. Okay. Taking your house. All right. Um, <laughs> yes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, but yeah, no, I, you know, so, and, and look, this is where Dream Warriors really excels too, is just kind of the evolution of Freddy's powers, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we end up getting just... You know, th- th- this whole movie is a special effects extravaganza. I love yeah. it. It's it's a feast of visual effects. He and can now it, control skeletons. Well, in he, the outside well, world, he, well, he can control his own skeleton. But <laughs> but yeah, we see Freddy controlling his own skeleton in real life and having like this Ray Harryhausen type stop motion <laughs> battle, which is so fucking cool. Look, I I personally believe more horror films should incorporate all different types of effects like this you know Agreed. Some, some stop motion some practical some digital throw it all in there you know <laughs> kitchen I, sink that bitch kitchen sink that bitch <laughs> i'm so i'm so tired of this kind of idea of like everything's gotta look pristine and clean and no, and and real that. as possible you know with with the digital it's like no fuck that do everything i watch movies to escape reality like, i want a weird <laughs> skeleton to pick a man up by the dick and I, throw him into shit i, I want ray harryhausen effects right like i want that shit i want weird freddy krueger worms you know like um and, and i and i love him showing up as a worm because to because again i read into fucking everything worm. Well, he is a worm, but, you know, he he's also like that worm that kind of burrows into your subconscious and just, like, you know, is always there, right? Like, you're always thinking about Freddy, so... I'm mad. I'm so smart. <laughs> Only with movies. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, so so I love that symbolism with him there. And, and you know, of course, we get all the classic kills with his evolution, like the welcome to primetime bitch scene. Yep. Where, where a fucking TV comes to life, you know, like... Like, Dream Warriors just, it, it takes it to the next level with all of that. 
and it's so fun to watch Freddy kind of do all of this, right? And be and kind of become more of who he would be for the franchise, which again, <laughs> like I always like to say, the third film I think cements <laughs> what the franchise is going to be moving on, whether the original creators intended it to be that or not. <laughs> okay, you know what I think is bullshit though about his evolution in this movie though? He gets fucking defeated by holy water. Like, okay, what well, the so, fuck is that bullshit? <laughs> well, and so this this is where it kind of comes into my issues with the movie and why it's not my favorite in the franchise is that, you know, I, I sort of have this theory that, like, at, at a certain point, every franchise gets fucking Christianized. Like, every mm. horror franchise gets fucking Christianized. And, it like, it happened to Hellraiser. It happened to Jason with Jason Goes to Hell. Is that your at, fucking Jesus out of my horror films? At, at some point, at some point, Jesus just you know barges his way into all these movies, <laughs> and and it sucks. I really don't like it, you know, because yeah. and, and like take the previous examples I just mentioned for for example, you know, like like Hellraiser, Clive Barker never intent like he did not originally intend the Cenobites to be directly related to hell. You know that that wasn't really the idea. Is They're that, just pain king fetishists right well well, they're supposed to be like kind of kind of like other dimensional like dimensional travelers or whatever you know they're not, mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be technically hell and it, you know eventually that's what it became Ugh. in the franchise is that you know the studio basically made it no they're hell yeah. um and 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 then same with jason you know eventually we get jason goes to hell right like you're where, the only one who likes that movie i do like jason goes to hell <laughs> But I, but yeah, but I, I mean, I don't love you know bringing religion into it and all the hell bullshit, like mm. you know, and, and but but I think that this is probably the worst example of those three because you know to me to me I, I think Freddy's way more interesting as this just kind of like dream monster, yeah, and and the second that you start bringing in all this religious bull crap of like oh he. He had. You have to bury his body and put a cross on, ground man. and put a cross on his forehead and no, you know all this stuff like that doesn't that doesn't work for me. You know, no. it's not it's not interesting. I don't like that religions kind of brought into it as a way to defeat him. And I, and I'll give the creators this. All right, like the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, I think arguably has some of the less good endings in <laughs> horror franchises yeah uh, like i like i like i said i love the first film's ending but these movies are really difficult to end because it always kind of comes out of the question of like how the fuck do you stop a dream demon right and so so i'll give them that like they're trying and yeah. it and it kind of seems a natural route to go in this fucking stupidly religious country <laughs> yeah I... uh to to incorporate christ and god and all that kind of stuff into it and spirit vanquishing through Ugh. that, but I hate that. I hate the bastard son of a thousand maniacs. Because... I do actually like that. <laughs> See, I I don't because it it almost for, for me feels like they're trying to negate why Freddy's evil. Like, of course he's evil. He's the bastard son of a thousand maniacs. I'm like, no. Sometimes a child killer can just be a child killer because he's a bad person. Well, I mean, well, yeah. They're not saying he's. They're not trying to excuse him. Because he's the bastard son of a hunter maniacs. But like they're kind of giving him an out of like, look at no, who my parentage was. Ah. No, they're not because it doesn't. Just because your fucking parents are <laughs> murderer doesn't mean you're a murderer. So like in the horror not, community, it does sometimes. Whatever. In the horror no, movies. no, I disagree. Yeah. I don't think they're trying to excuse him with that. I just think it's. I just think it's kind of. You, you think know, it's catchy, don't you? 
I do. I think it's catchy lore. Like, I usually don't like learning more about our horror villains, but I think, I honestly think it adds an, an extra evil element to Freddy, which is why I do like it, because, Fair you know, enough. it. Because the ba- the bastard son of a hunter of maniacs is extreme. Yes. You know, it, it's extreme and it's evil and the backstory of it is just like... So vile. So vile and <laughs> shocking that I honestly think it makes sense for Freddy. So <laughs> Can I say the one thing I do really like about all this religious shit? I love the fact that his mom comes back to yell at the adults and basically be like, Hey, y'all are fucking up. My son's being a dick. Fix this shit. Well... <laughs> Yeah, and and I mean, but but that that ends up being really on the nose too, which I which I don't I don't like. I don't like Amanda <laughs> Kruger being in this. I especially don't like Amanda Kruger being Amanda Mary Kruger, uh, <laughs> as we see on her tombstone, um, because that just brings an additional religious, religious element into it, which is fun if you don't mind that stuff, because they're basically painting Freddy Krueger as like a twisted, you know, they're basically painting the him as like an anti- an antichrist because. You know, Amanda Mary Kruger, of course, recalls the Mother Mary. <laughs> and I hate that I even know this stuff. It, of course, recalls the Mother Mary. And, and you know, Dream Warriors is, in some ways, a Christmas movie because when we... <laughs> what the fuck? It is because when, first of all, uh, in the end, when Neil is going to bed, we see outside his house and it is decorated with Christmas decorations. I'm going to take your word on that. I didn't notice. Do you, did you really not notice the Christmas lights all over his house? <laughs> I was just so sad about Nancy. I don't give a fuck about okay. Neil. Fuck that guy. Okay. Well, it's a Christmas movie. I mean, it's never directly <laughs> stated that it's around Christmas, but it is in Los Angeles, if I remember right, or California. And... It, there are lights on his house. <laughs> so it takes place around then. And then of course you add in all the elements of like, you know, her, her dad's spirit, like coming into the dream and it's all like super. But that's a lie. I know it's a lie, but, but that's the point. This is a <laughs> twisted Christmas story. Okay. It's a twisted Christmas story, you know, where like, we're like, we, we learn lessons and stuff like that, but it's also bad. So. Uh, Neil didn't learn shit. He had two powerful women yelling at him. He still barely learned shit. Yeah, Neil didn't learn anything, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's a warped Christmas movie. And, you know, quickly while we're on the topic, women's right to choose. Amanda Kruger should have had the right to choose to be if like, she wanted to have the son of a hundred maniacs. <laughs> right. All right. Her like, body, her choice. Like, not to make a joke of a serious topic, because it is, and I am... I am horrified by what's going on in this country right now. Yep. Um, but, you know, let's just, you know, there's a pos- there, maybe, it, maybe Springwood would not have had such an issue. Yeah. <laughs> if it had been legal. Um. Anyway, so, you know, and yeah, okay, of course we have to talk about Nancy dying. So. <laughs> That's so sad. Well, well, so this is the other reason that, that Dream Warriors loses points for me is that. Because they kill Nancy? Yeah, because it just, so here's, here's the thing. Before you before you give me that stink eye, uh, <laughs> too late. <laughs> Wes Craven actually, you know, was was he, it, he? That was in the original script. So like, killing Nancy was originally Wes's idea, and mm-hmm. it stayed. And you know, from what I understand, Wes really regretted that decision. Hmm. Wes regretted killing Nancy, which is why with Sydney he kept her alive through four films. You know, and I won't get into the fifth movie, but. It's important to keep Sydney alive for the same reason I think it would have been important to keep Nancy alive is that these women, you know, because they are so powerful and standing up against bullies or or in, you know, Sydney's case, uh, she she's kind of become like that sort of, 
you know, yeah, basically like an icon of like strength for for women kind of going, you know, through whatever. And, uh-huh. they, you know, they, they become such icons of strength that to to kill them off, especially in a way like Dream Warriors, where it's like, really, Nancy? <laughs> like, you of all people, you of all people should not have trusted that your fucking dad... <laughs> your drunk-ass, bitch-ass father. That, that your fucking dad just angeled his way into this dream, <laughs> like... You know, you of all people should know that this is that this is crap and this is not real, right? Like, so it's it's such a shitty way to kill her off, and at the same time, it's just like, yeah, that that's hard to watch, you know, as someone who really admires Nancy and and finds strength in her. Where it's like, it's not just a shitty death, but it's also like, really, like you're gonna you're gonna kill off this person that is like this icon of strength for me, like you know, it just. It's it, it's it's a bullshit move. Like I I really don't I don't know what purpose it ultimately serves for the movie other than to make fans upset. <laughs> okay, so I I get why you're upset, but oh. I think that it makes sense. How does it make sense? Okay, so Sydney I understand keeping alive because she's the focus of Ghostface, right? You know, but in in this one in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. Nancy is there as ostensibly a guiding light. Nightmare on Elm Street is about teens, and it's about teens going through this shit. And Nancy is no longer a teenager. So I think that you kind of have the option of you keep Nancy alive, and then you have this weird task where you potentially have to shoehorn her in as a guiding light for future Nightmare on Elm Street. But they didn't, but no, but see, you can't look at it that way because at the time of making this, they didn't know there was going to be a fourth one. That's true. At the time of making this, they intended this to be the last Nightmare on Elm Street movie, so you could have had Nancy survive. (laughs) You could have, but I think I view it, I view Nancy's death as a, a passing of the torch of sometimes you go through something and it fucking sucks and you help the next generation and then it's on you know it's on Christian to help the next group of people you know it's this weird like torch that can kind of get passed on yeah see I see I don't agree for the same reason for the same reasons that Craven eventually regretted it Mm -hmm. you know I just think that that's incorrect like it's like I, I get what you're saying with passing on the torch, but they didn't know there was gonna be a franchise after this. They you know? didn't. So so there's no so there's no reason for the past torching that you're talking about. It, it's literally for shock value. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. That's kind of what it was meant for. And and I just don't I don't know that the the message is correct there because again, Nancy is supposed to be this character that you know, like we were talking about before, she becomes a symbol of like you can make it. You know, you can you can get out of this. And mm-hmm. and in a film that's about such kind of heavy topics you know it just i don't know it just feels wrong for her to be killed off in such a shitty way like, i mean it's a shitty way i definitely agree with you that it's a shitty bullshit Cause, cause way because it's, it's not even a heroic death it's no. a it's a i'm a fucking moron in this moment <laughs> death like so okay she is a moron in that moment because she should know better but it is showing that sh- the fact that nancy is always willing to try and reconcile you know, she's always trying to make things better and reconcile, and that's a big part of this. So we kill her for it? <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that this is perfect. I'm just saying that it makes sense to me because also part of childhood and going into adulthood is that you lose, as you go into adulthood, you lose some of those support systems. You know, as you go off to college or you, you move on. Yeah, I, I think at this point you're trying to stretch it. Like I'm to- not trying to stretch it. This is just, I think that it makes sense it's sad but it you, makes sense you would not have watched this movie where nancy lived and been disappointed that she lived though. i would not have been disappointed it, it if she lived but i'm not i i see the sense in her dying 
Right, but it but it wouldn't change the film's message for you had she lived, which is the point I'm trying to make. Mm. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't have changed what you're talking about, you know. And, and at the same time, I mean, Neil still lives. Neil gets to live. He's an adult. You know, well, Neil's a fucking idiot, and all the idi- idiot adults always live. Neil's the one who fucking kills Freddy. Nancy doesn't even do that. You well, know? I mean, I feel like the movie shoves it in his face that he's a worthless human being by being like, "Oh, you're asleep and you're all peaceful. Fine. The fucking Freddy house is turning on. You didn't do shit, Neil. You fucking suck." Well, well, that was the other thing is that you know in the original version, it's my understanding that you know there there were extra scenes that were basically supposed to imply that that's Nancy turning down the light in that house, kind of like an angel looking over them, right? Oh, I totally you know? see it as Freddy being like, fuck you, motherfuckers. Well, well that's what most people <laughs> see it as because because those extra scenes aren't included. But yeah, no, it was originally intended to be kind of implying that Nancy is in that house. And and with taking those scenes out, now we think of it as Freddy to kind of, you know, imply a future sequel. So And it, it also, like, cements the fact that Freddy stole Nancy's fucking house. Nobody thinks of it as Nancy's house. Who cares? Uh, look, house. you know, the, the point of the matter is, like, I just... I just don't, I don't like it because again, like Nancy's death to me, I, and I don't mean to rant so much about this, but, <laughs> but Nancy's death to me also sort of mildly fits into that kind of religious theme that I don't like, which is that I almost feel like, you know, I almost feel like it's this kind of like. like the holy cr- sacrifice. Yes. I almost kind of feel like it's this, <laughs> it's this Christ thing because there's so much religious imagery in that, yeah. in that moment with like. You know, he died her, for the, she died for the kids' sins. <laughs> well, well, she doesn't die for the kids' sins. She dies for her parents' sins, you know? That too. Uh, and, and so, and yeah, and she kind of becomes like that, you know, that, that Christ symbol, right? Like she, you know, it, it just, it's aggravating to me. I don't like religion <laughs> and I don't, <laughs> I don't like that Nancy was kind of turned into that, right? I, I, I look, I get it on, on a certain standpoint and like I, you know, any anyone who is religious and, and 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 appreciates that, like I totally get where you're coming from. It's just not it just doesn't work for me, you know. When it's shoehorned and, in like it is in this film. Yeah, it just it just doesn't feel right. Yes. You know? And and, and last thing I'll say about it is that, you know, I also I also kind of wish it had been done a little bit differently because there are some things in this movie that if you you know, if Craven originally looked at the first film like just one bad dream, I kind of like the idea of being able to look at part three as just one bad dream too, because there are little things in the movie that sort of hint at that. If you want it to be that like where she goes to meet her dad, you know, uh, at the bar, the bar is called little Nemo's, which of course is a reference to the little Nemo story, which is all about traveling through dreams, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I, I don't know. I, I, I would have maybe liked the idea if this had kind of been, a sort of continuation of Nancy's dream in a sense, or if you can look at it in that sort of way. I just I just don't like the religious <laughs> Christ stuff, all right? <laughs> Matt just wants Nancy, Kincaid, Kristen, and Joey to drive off in the Freddy Mobile. I just want Nancy to be alive, which is why I'm so glad that New Nightmare brought her back. There you and go. That, and that Wes tried to reconcile that a little bit. Um, Kristen said she was sending her to a beautiful dream, but she got that. Yeah, well, her beautiful dream should have been continuing to live and help kids <laughs> uh but all right so we gotta start gotta start wrapping up so so who's your killer idiot of dream warriors uh, the fucking doctors uh dr sims and and dr gordon because they get these kids killed at the end of the day they're the ones killing these kids by not listening to them and trying to fucking sedate them 
fuck those doctors. They can go to the same jail that Dr. Loomis is in. I'm creating a horror doctor jail. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, they aggravate me. I don't totally consider them idiots though, because no adult in their right mind thinks that dreams are killing kids. No, so. but no adult in the right mind thinks that kids dreaming about sex is leading them to suicide. No, they don't. But I put Nancy as my killer idiot because I just. Oh, because of her dad. Just the, just the fact that, yeah, the fact that she has to go say hi to daddy in the dream after he shows up like an angel. It just, it bugs so, the hell out of me. So many, sometimes you just want to <laughs> hug your drunk dad. Okay. Sure, but not when you know that he's a Freddy play. Like, like the like when they all, thought they had won. No, but when but that's the thing is when all the mirrors explode and Nancy's just like, "We did it! He's gone!" It's like Nancy, you know better. You're still there. <laughs> she hasn't done this for like ten years, Matt. She's out of practice. No, but she knows better. You know, like <laughs> she hasn't been to Neverland in a while. <laughs> I get it, but but there but there's nothing in that moment that applies. Freddy's defeated. What? Because Joey screamed really loud. Get the fuck out of here. You know. I don't like know. That, if a kid screams at me, I'm done. I'm out. I just I just do not like this ending. <laughs> I love the whole film. I don't like this like five to ten minute ending. piece of it. Like I I would I would rewrite and edit the shit out of that if I could. Um, <laughs> Uh, what about your killer death in Dream Warriors? For, I swear to God, if you say Nancy. <laughs> I, I would never say Nancy. I'm a monster, but not that much. No, for me, there's a lot of great deaths, but I have to go with Phillips because, um, you know, his his flesh strings, his flesh puppet strings gross me out so fucking much. Very effective. Yeah, it's just, it's so effective. And, you know, that's our quintessential moment where we really realize what the kids are dealing with. You know, so for that reason, that's my killer death. I'm sorry, I really love Philip. I wish we got to spend more time with him. Philip's a great character. I yeah. think Philip gets killed off early on so that the audience can kind of be like, well, shit. You yeah. know, because, because Philip is, Philip is kind of made to be like sort of a pseudo leader at first because he's kind of the one sort of leading and introducing things and yeah he's got that great line where it's maximum effort minimal progress he's yeah. really pointing out the problems with anything and freddie's just like no 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 can't have that yeah. off you go yeah and, and bradley Gregg just does a really great performance with it so so no i yeah i agree i philip's death is hard to take you yeah. know it, it is um Mine's gonna be Jennifer and the Welcome to Primetime bitch because of I mean it's just it's just fucking iconic. Like it's so it's, good. And like the lines great. Freddy turning into a, a TV turning into <laughs> Freddy is just amazing. Like I don't know who the hell thought that up, but it's awesome. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, what about your killer MVP? Look, that's a uh, that's the Bandoken for doing that iconic song, Dream Warriors. <laughs> it's so good. It's been stuck in my head for the past week. And look, this is one of the things that we don't get to talk about very much on the show because it doesn't have any effect on the plot. But horror movies are so great. They're better than James Bond movies about having killer theme songs. Dream Warriors. They were better. They were better. They don't do it anymore. Because they they're should. fucking bitches. <laughs> no, because studios are fucking bitches. You don't care anymore. Studios are bitches. <laughs> But yeah, this is one of the best dream, the best theme songs. The only one that's better is the fucking Ninja Turtle rap from TMNT Part 2. Go Ninja, go, go Ninja, go. go. <laughs> no, the other good one is Friday the 13th with Jason, with uh, with Part 8. Yeah. He's back. The, the man, man behind the mask. mask. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I missed the hell out of that. I wish yeah. movies would do that again, but... Um, my, my killer MVP is going to go to the special effects team, obviously, because they're great. 
but as a part of that, you know, I'm sort of cheating here because I also want to include the production design team because I also think that Dream Warriors has the best production design in the franchise. You know, like they do some really incredible stuff here in this movie on on frankly a budget that was getting stretched <laughs> very badly. You know, yeah. like there like there were a lot of issues with trying to fit what they wanted to in Dream Warriors into the script. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, th- there are insane things in that script that didn't make it to the final cup because of budget, but but they did a really great job. Like everything that's done in fr- in in the what we're calling Freddy's house and all that. You know, mm-hmm. just it looks fantastic. It's amazing. Um, so I think they should get a shout out too. But anyway. Uh, so every week on Twitter at Killer Critics, we also like to put up a poll, just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film, what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, or you think Dream Warriors falls with the audience? Oh, uh, obviously love it. Yeah, love it got a big one on this. I'm actually surprised. I thought it would be more, but love it got 79%. Uh, it's fine got 14%. Don't like it got 2.5%. <gasps> and never seen it got 4.5%. <gasps> so the thing that I like about these polls is that it always proves to you that there is no single horror film that is a Everybody consensus loves. love it. Fair we, enough. The best we've had, I think, is like the high 80s, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Um, but nothing has, I don't think and, anything's broken the 90% for love it. No, and there's always somebody out there that fucking hates the film and always yep. somebody out there who has never seen it. Yeah, exactly. So it it never gets the full percentage. Um. But anyway, so we always like to get comments from you all as well. And so the first one is from at Rad Reputation XX. So I don't think I have to spell that. Rad Reputation XX. And they say, it truly cements the formula that defines the Nightmare series. A cast of protagonists that you genuinely root for. We don't get characters you are begging to see get killed off. You cheer the kids on. The emphasis of imagination over gore at its zenith. I completely agree. I fucking love all the characters from all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. They are much more iconic than any other um, franchise. Yeah, I uh, I mean, first of all, yeah, the emphasis of imagination over Gord at Zenith. I agree. I, I love the imaginative elements of Dream Warriors. It's why, it's why the Nightmare franchise is my favorite, because so much imagination is poured into these movies. But I like the point they make about the kids, too, because I, I really fucking despise the the idea that came in the horror or the concept that came in the horror films at a certain point where it started to become this thing of like oh you you should you should want to you should want the characters to get killed off and and hate them you know so that you you cheer when they die and it's like no i like characters that i like yeah i want to like the characters so that it hurts when they die you know like i that that is more emotionally impactful for me than just cheering for characters that I fucking hate and that I hate watching for an hour waiting for them to die. That's a worse experience. Yeah. You know? so, like, Nobody wants to watch characters that they hate. That's a bad movie. Yeah, so like a- anyone working on a horror script out there, do not focus on writing all of your protagonists to be characters that the audience can't wait to see die. That is not what makes a good horror film. No, make us love them. Exactly. Make us love them. Make us be mad at you for killing them. Exactly. That's the way to go every time. So yeah. so thank you at Rad Reputation XX for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next is a comment from at Half Horror. Uh, so they say, I always think it's so interesting that despite almost entirely reinventing the franchise, this movie is seen as a return to the formula because it follows the even bigger swerve of part two. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Part two is like completely blocked out of my brain. For some reason, it's just a dark spot. Well, because you're a monster who... <laughs> no, you're a monster who never, ever puts on Nightmare on Elm Street. 
And because I have tons of new shit I have to watch all the time. I'm a fucking critic. I have to watch new shit every day. I watched every um, Jason film like six times. Well, whatever. Uh, that's because Jason has a holiday. But anyway, no, yeah, I, I completely agree with this too. You know, it, it is really interesting. And, it, you know, because I've always thought about that too. Like, I, I never understood why Dream Warriors is considered a return to formula because it is so different from not just the second movie, but the, the first film as well. Yeah. Again, this film kind of rein, not, not reinvents Freddy necessarily, but, but you know, kind of kind of uh, evolves him. You know, mm-hmm. it, it evolves Freddy into something a lot different than what we saw in the first film. Because in the first film, Freddy wasn't quite this, you know, wisecracking bully just yet, right? No. Like, he, like he was kind of, he was, he, oh, he, the, the elements were there, but he wasn't that yet. And then the film just does, you know, it takes so much of everything to the next level with the group of kids, the imaginative kills, you know, Mm -hmm. just the way that Freddy really uses their fears to torment them. He didn't do that in the first or second film, you know, so so they're right. Like everything changes so much. And part two is just so different from the first movie that people see this as returning the form, but it's really not. It's not a return to form. It's a new form. (laughs) (laughs) It's Freddy still figuring himself out. Yeah, like we all are. We're all yeah. just always just figuring ourselves out, right? So yep. uh, anyway, thank you at Half Horror for the comment. Appreciate it. Next is coming from at Run Kyle Run 13 and, and 13 is the numbers 13. Uh, so they say, I think this movie encapsulates the best aspects of all the movies. You have legacy characters like Nancy interacting with great new characters like Kristen and the other survivors. It expands Freddy's origin and gives him his best blend of humor and terror in the series. I think I agree. The only reason I say I think I agree is because I haven't seen part four in a while, and I do really love part four, and I think part four is pretty, like, on point. But yeah. having Nancy return in part three does make it amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to agree with them. It, you know, it, it expa- Just like I said, it expands for his origin. I do think it's his best blend of humor and terror in the series because Dream Warriors is the last time I think that A Nightmare on Elm Street is really scary scary in any way uh, yeah. until you get to New Nightmare. So so this one does, I think, the best of all of them combine comedy and horror. Because mm-hmm. uh, part four definitely leans... It's just comedy. It leans way more into the comedy. It still, you know, it still has its really gross out moments, but it's way more comical than it is scary. Which explains <laughs> why I like it so much. And I, and I love part four too. I think part four is great, but... Anyway, thank you at RunCalRun13 for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next is a comment from at Sinful underscore Redhead. So that's S-I-N-N-F-U-L underscore Redhead. My friend Sarah, she has a podcast. Check her out. But uh, she says, what I love about this movie is that it really cemented Freddy's character. Evil, yet likes to make one-liners to fuck with his victims. I am the minority when I say I like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 better than Dream Warriors because Freddy is completely cruel and evil in that movie. However... Dream Warriors is the movie that brought us the Freddy we all have come to love and adore. And I do love the fact that they brought Nancy back, and even though I don't like it, I do understand why she had to die at the end by the hands of Freddy. See, I'm not alone in this. You're not alone in this. I'll have to ask Sarah what it is that she that she agrees <laughs> with Nancy dying on, so I, I can see what her opinion on that is. But um, She'll have a much more real opinion on it than I do. <laughs> Maybe, but but I I love that she that she says she loves Nightmare on Elm Street too better than Dream Warriors. You know, not a lot of people are willing to admit that, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think that's you know I, Sarah, yeah. you're awesome for for saying that. I just think it's awesome that you love part two. I think it's a great movie and was severely underrated for such a long time. So. <laughs> but but anyway, so thank you at sinful underscore redhead for the comment. Appreciate it. 
And lastly is a comment from at the underscore Ken underscore Spawn. And they say, my very first movie poster as a young lad, but not my last. Yeah, you know, I, I look, the, the artwork for the Nightmare on Elm Street posters is another thing that I so badly wish studios would do again. You know, like, so, so the artist for the first five film posters in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was Matthew Joseph Peake. Uh, who also did a version uh, of part six a few years back. He didn't do the official poster for it, but he mm-hmm. did release his own version a while ago. Oh, nice. But I mean, you, you look at all of those posters and they are art. Those posters are art. They're gorgeous. You know, they are gorgeous. And there are so many great artists out there that I follow on Twitter that are constantly doing posters that are reminiscent of that, you know, that, that are just so full of imagination and artistry and are beautiful and just like, could studios fucking hire these people, please? <laughs> like, could you fucking hire artists again instead of just lining up like all of your characters like a screen poster and just, you know, just yeah. doing the same old boring bullshit all the time? Like, <laughs> it's kind of sad when they get shown up by like Mondo or artists online. Yeah, if if your poster is not art worthy enough to hang on my wall, you're doing it wrong, you know. Yep. Like, stop doing this basic bullshit. Agreed. <laughs> There's still some good ones out there that are still coming out these days, but for God's sakes, let's let's be creative again with these we things. We want to buy posters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you at the underscore Ken underscore Spawn for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, so lastly, we just have our releases for the week. So some interesting stuff this week. Uh, first up is a documentary called The Found Footage Phenomena, which is coming to Shutter on the 19th. Exactly what it sounds like, a whole documentary exploring the found footage genre. Ooh. So definitely recommend checking it out, especially if you're someone who hates found footage. Hopefully it enlightens <laughs> you into kind of seeing the value of the genre, which which I think has been unfairly mistreated for such a long time. Another film is Alex Garland's Men, which is coming to theaters on the 20th. And I have not seen it yet, but this is a film that basically seems to follow a woman staying at this house with another man after her husband has died and basically every male in the character is played by the same actor and you know it's essentially this idea of like she cannot escape she cannot escape shitty behavior of men and it seems to tie into like folk horror and religious themes and all that kind of stuff so it looks very interesting uh, i should have a review up for this later this week i have a screening coming up for it so Check out KillerHorrorCreek.com later this week if you'd like to read that. And lastly is a film from Brie Grant uh, called Torn Hearts, which is coming to digital on the 20th. And yes, this is one that's about a couple of country singer hopefuls who end up staying at a house owned by one of their kind of icons that they're fans of. And then she sort of teaches them the the sacrifice of their dreams (laughs) in some pretty horrific ways. So I... I have not seen this one either, but it looks very interesting. I love Brie Grant. She's very talented uh, actress and writer and director. Uh, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, next week, we are talking about the film Alien 3, uh, which I cannot wait to discuss with you all because I am a champion of this movie, <laughs> despite the, in my opinion, unfair hatred of it that exists out there, yeah. uh, which also comes from my wife. So... <laughs> So we'll. <laughs> I can't help it. So we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and that one is unfortunately not streaming. I think it's worth your rental dollars, uh, but that is up for you to decide if you would like to watch that and do your homework. So. I, I'm not a huge fan of this one, obviously, but I also think it's worth renting just to be able to see it, so you can properly make fun of it. 
You're a monster. Um, so, no, I think Alien 3 is great. And so Chris and I are probably going to argue about that one a lot next uh-huh. week. But <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for us on A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. I mean, look, there's so much I want to talk about with this movie. We only have so much time. So, of course, we're unable to get to everything. But <laughs> we did our best. <laughs> did our best. Uh, so hopefully you enjoyed that. And anyway, just have a great night, horror fans. And we'll see you next week. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a good night. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>